everyone. Thanks so much for joining me for this week's episode of When I Grew Up. On today's episode, it's my pleasure to welcome Dr. Jimmy Lee. Hi, Jimmy. How are you? Good. Thanks for inviting me. Thanks for being here. I know that you have probably long work days. And um, for those of you that don't know, we do our, most of my interviews at night. And so I appreciate your time, especially being a mom, a working mom. So thank you again. No problem. Um, yeah. So let's get started. Um, so I'm going to call you just Chumi. Is that okay? That's perfect. <laughs> please, please don't be formal. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I always feel bad though because like I do have a lot of friends that come on and they have the title of doctor like yourself and mm-hmm. it is a it is a title worthy to be called because you I know how much time and energy and work has gone in, in the years that have gone into um, getting a title of doctor but all that to say oh <laughs> all that to say um, could you tell us what it is that you do. Sure. So um, I am currently in uh, in regulatory affairs at Merck Pharmaceuticals. And um, actually, it's just called Merck. I shouldn't really say pharmaceuticals, but it's a company. In any case, um, yeah, I just started it in um, August of 2020. And prior to that, I was a pediatric infectious disease physician. Wow. Okay. I was not prepared for this as much as I should have been because, well, first of all, it's interesting to me that you started working there um, in the middle of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Um, so what was that shift for you? Why did you decide to ch- switch jobs? If I, if you don't mind me asking. Yeah, I think that's a great question because, um, it probably applies to a lot of people who, um, are listening to you. But one of the things that I started thinking about, um, during my career is what are my next steps? And, um, I came to a point where I wanted to learn something new. And I uh, don't get me wrong, medicine is ever changing. There's always something to do. The patients are fantastic. But for me, um, I kind of hit a point where I was just wanting to learn something new. And um, this was all, I mean, just something I wasn't expecting. But um, I got a call from a recruiter from Merck, and um, they asked me if I'd be interested in um, interviewing for this position in regulatory affairs. And I found it very interesting because um, I actually have a background in clinical research and vaccines and and some teaching. And I I was just really um, attracted to the fact that in regulatory affairs, like you liaise um, in my job specifically with like the FDA and other agencies, but then you get to see the whole um, product kind of come to life. So you get to see the research side, you get to see the manufacturing side, you get to see the commercial side, you get to see the patient side. And so um, for me, I just I just liked um, that it took what I was doing, but then shifted it to a different focus, mm-hmm. but I would still be learning something entirely entirely new. And um, yeah, and I, I'm not even exaggerating when I, say, when I say it's entirely new. It's been a huge learning experience for me. Oh, wow. Um, that's so, like crazy to be able to take something like that on especially so far into your career as a doctor and still be learning new things um so the you mentioned the learning curve was quite large for you in doing this um Mm -hmm. are you in a place now where you feel a little more comfortable in regulatory affairs or how long did it take you to kind of be in a place of like okay I think I got what's going on now Oh, is that supposed to happen at some point? <laughs> no, but not, I mean, I think that's what I like about the job is that, um, like, I, I kind of got thrown into this position, um, and I'm working on a vaccine product, and 
you know, like I know what it is. I know what it treats. I know that the impact of it, but mm-hmm. then the behind the scenes of like preparing the, um, the package. So the submission, so that it is something that is, um, you know, something you can give to the agencies and say, Hey, we have a great product and we should be licensed. All those things like that part is just ever expanding. Every time I learn wow. something, like there's more. And, um, so I, I'm at a place where I feel like, um, I definitely know what I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm still at a place where I'm growing and learning. So I don't feel like, I don't feel like I'm in a place where I can say, yeah, I'm ready to go on to the next thing, but I've, I certainly feel like I, I've come a long way since I've started. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I guess I'm not going to even pretend I know what it means to be in regulatory affairs. So would you kind of um, maybe start from the beginning? Like what, what does a typical day look like for you? And like what exactly does regulatory affairs mean at a company like Merck? Yeah, so that's a great question, I think. Um and so for me, I like my job because every day is so different. There's no real like day-to-day, like clock in, clock out. And um, I think kind of going back to medicine, that's why I also like medicine because every day would be so different for me. Um, it might de- depend on the type of doctor you are, but for me as a consultant, like every day was just different. I never knew what I was going to get. Um, it's kind of like Forrest Gump. Life is like a box of chocolates. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> In any case, um, for regulatory affairs, so um, generally what I'm doing is I'm, um, it depends on what life, part of the life cycle of the product you're in. And right now I'm kind of in the later phases where we're heading towards um, licensure. Mm-hmm. And so we're completing our studies to support our vaccines. We're um, looking at, you know, we're working with our commercial colleagues to look at the timing of when we're putting in our application. Um, We're talking to, um, you know, our different country colleagues to see how does our um, filing affect like their filings, like what sorts Mm -hmm. of information could they use? Um, And so it's quite quite a broad scope. Um, Yeah, so basically if I kind of boil it down to what I do is I'm I'm the person that kind of is the go-between from the company to the like the regulatory body. So in, in the case of the US, it would be like the FDA. I see. That's an extremely important job. And, you know, I only know that now because I, I, I mean, I didn't really care about vaccines before the pandemic, if I'm honest, right? Because I mean, no, other than the flu vaccine that I get and the vaccine they get my, my children get, but those have been, you know, processed and approved for, for a long time now. And mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, at the <laughs> at the height of vaccine for COVID-19 and things like that, like I um, had a lot of questions, you know, about the process of how things get done and why is it so fast and um, everything being happening so quickly. But um, all that to say, it's amazing that you get to be in a place where you see the, the drug and the process of it being where it's supposed to be to help other people. And I think that's really cool. That's so cool. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really neat. Like when you take a step back and look at what you're actually doing and right. the impact that you have on people's lives, it, it's incredible. It's like, um, you know, like in the hospital, you get to treat a couple of patients at a time. But in this capacity, you really get to affect a lot of people. Um, so I've I've been, um, I guess, you know, when you go into something new, you don't exactly know what you're going to get into and you kind of have notions about what it might be like, but I've been really pleasantly surprised at how, how much fun it is um, and 
how much um, there is to do in this space. Oh, wow. So um, just to clarify, as you're talking, so um, when it gets to you, it's already a, a vaccine, right? Like you're not like making the vaccine. Correct. I personally am not, but the company would be like they okay, would come okay. up with a product, and then um, when I'm involved, is yes, like when you're starting to think about how are we going to develop these um, studies that are going to start um, the process of getting it down the line to being licensed. Okay, so I'm not in that super early phase where you're in the lab and you're looking at the molecules and all those things. Okay, I see. Um, I don't know if you're allowed to elaborate on this because I'm sure it's all sensitive information. Um, however, like, um, what are some, if, okay, sorry. I just trying to think how I want to ask this. No, yeah. Take um, it. Like, what are some regulatory things for a vaccine? Like, like, why wouldn't it get approved? Oh, that is a great question. So, I mean, it would really come down to, like your process. So the one thing that I don't have strong knowledge on yet is like the manufacturing piece. So in our company, actually, we have a separate group that does the more um, like what we call CMC, like the chem uh, the chemistry manufacturing, that kind of um, side. But that for the vaccine, that process itself is a vaccine because it's so complex and what you do on that side makes the vaccine. Mm -hmm. And so if that process is not well controlled or like you're product's not pure or it doesn't work very well, then, then you can have problems. Mm -hmm. Like if the studies that you run in um, patients, they're not well designed. And I, I guess a good example, um, and this actually might be a little bit um, inflammatory to some people, but like, you know how all this information about um, different um, like uh, hydroxychloroquine and all these things have come up about um, using it for COVID? Like those are not really like controlled trials or like, you know, like as carefully done. Um, but anyway, so um, the, you know, we, that may be a reason like you're not um, getting approval for your um, product because it's not done mm -hmm. in such a manner where you're thinking about um, like all the statistical implications of what you're studying. Um, trying to put it in a simple manner, but I think I'm just starting to ramble a bit. No, case, I, I um, understand what you're yeah. saying. I understand. What or, you're saying. or like safety could be a huge problem because, you know, the, the mantra for everything is first, do no harm. Right. So you have to make sure it's safe. And then the other thing would be like, if it doesn't work, then you, you can't use it. It's great right. if it's, it, it's great if it's safe, but if it does absolutely nothing, then what's the point? So I see. Okay. Um, Okay, that was great. I, <laughs> I mean, those um, are some reasons. There's multiple reasons, but those are just kind of some of the off the top of my head. That I no, can and use. you know, I think those are all without really going too deeply into it. I mean, it's common sense, kind of, you know, like mm -hmm. obviously you're not going to provide a vaccine to the world or medication to the world that has not gone through the process itself to see if it has effective results. So, um, yeah, it makes complete sense to me what you're saying. Um, yeah. but even think even, even if you think of like what happens to get it to the, like studying in human space, uh -huh. you know, you have those people who are studying in the, the molecules in the lab, they're putting it into animal models and checking the safety there. And I mean, there's just so much that goes on before you even reach the person. I mean, I, I think it's just fascinating how all this works. Mm. Um, are, so there are a lot of steps before it reaches this person. Oh, a ton. And then, um, you know, we, 
we always think about it in the sense of like, you know, there's like tens of thousands of things that could be really cool to use in people, but then, you know, the, out of those only a very, very tiny percent actually make it to the point where you get to like a clinical trial that might help someone. And then even out of those, it's a small percentage that actually make it. So it's a, it's pretty rigorous and right. Yeah. Right. Um, I'm curious, like for your job specifically in regulatory services, um, do you need to be a doctor? No, actually, I don't know of many companies that actually hire MD straight away like this. I think Merck has had an investment in physicians, which I find um, really interesting. But most people have um, some sort of regulatory experience or some sort of educational experience that kind of brings them to the space. Um, and so I've met a lot of colleagues who are PhDs or um, they've had experience in the, you know, the manufacturing side or um, they've had some sort of um, industry experience that brings them to the space. But I see. Yeah. So how I came into it is actually, um, from what I understand, not as common. I see. So do you find it advantageous to have an MD in the space that you're working in? Oh, I'm biased. I think it's advantageous to an MD for everything. Right? Yeah, no, <laughs> you're, but, you're um, absolutely yeah. right. No, I actually do because I understand, you know, what these products actually do. Um, mm. I was talking to someone about one of their products and their, their, um, look, their, they just got on this project and they were talking to me about it. And then I, I gave her some of the background of this product and she was like, oh yeah, that's right. You would understand what's going on there. So it's kind of nice to have that baseline. Um, because it then helps you um, anchor onto something and be able to understand why the processes are the way they are. Oh, wow. That's very interesting. Yeah. Um, so if you don't mind, could you actually take me back to when you decided to be a doctor? Like, what was that like for you? I mean, I, I would even say, like, could you take me back to high school, like before you entered college? Yeah, Sure. So I actually knew I wanted to be a doctor probably in elementary school. It's oh, always, wow. yeah, I've always wanted to do it. Um, and it kind of stemmed from number one, I've always loved science, but I, I love interacting with people and mm-hmm. um, with medicine, that teaching aspect is really cool. So medicine really kind of marries all those interests. And then um, it's funny that you chose high school as a time point, because I remember with church, we did a mission trip to Mexico and um, you know, those those tend to be, you know, um, like you do a couple of community service projects or whatever, and you come back and yay, we did a great thing. But for me, what really stuck with uh, me was just all these like children and people who seemed like they had illnesses that we really couldn't tend to. Or And then um, when I went to college, you know, learning more about the sciences, and I also volunteered in a malaria lab, I started like learning about the importance of disease on human health and how it really just impacts your day to day, right? Because if you, if you get um, an illness and you can't work, then you can't bring food on the table. I mean, it kind of, I mean, there's a lot of factors that go into sure. people not being able to do things, but um, infectious disease is kind of one of them. And so um, for me, medicine seemed like a natural path. And, um, and then I actually chose pediatrics at a, um, for medical school. And I don't know why, actually, I think it's because it was the one specialty I did not hate. <laughs> and I hate to say it that way. Like I actually thought I was going to do geriatrics because I really enjoy um, elderly people, uh-huh. but I did not like their medical problems, like their laundry list of medicines and 
just this like game of like balancing medication. And I'm sure any other doctor that you talk to who's in adult medicine probably is like, she's crazy, but yeah, I just, I, that just didn't jive with me. And then um, I also really enjoy the surgical uh, specialties, but um, I didn't enjoy like the life of just being up all the time. And um, I don't really function very well like that. So I was like, oh, Pete's kids, like who doesn't love a, you know, to get a sick kid well. And so there was a little bit of naivety going into that. And then, um, when I was in pediatric residency or training, I had a mentor uh, who is one of the big names in pediatric infectious diseases. And she scared me to no end because she just like pushed, she pushed us. She was like, she expected nothing less than perfection. And, and I mean, that was just one of the best mentors to have because like in that, I saw how much she cared about us. I saw how much she cared about her patients. I saw how much she cared about, you know, medicine and the science of it. And everything she did was like such great care and integrity. Mm -hmm. And so um, I started just meeting with her and just kind of going back to my experiences in college and um, also in medical school, I did some more like, um, like missions type work in Southeast Asia. And so all those things kind of culminated together. And um, my mentor one day I was, because as you can see, I can be kind of indecisive because I was like, Oh, I don't know if I want to do this. And she was like, look, if, you know, if you want to do infectious diseases, which is an additional three years of training, she's like, you know, you should just go for it now. I mean, sounds like you're really interested in it. There's no way you're going to know for sure until you do it. And mm. so it was just kind of a little push that I needed. And um, yeah, I, I took a little break to just um, work as a hospitalist for a bit. That's just a, a doctor who works in the hospital setting. And then I went to fellowship and um and it was, it was great. I mean, it was really, really intense because you come in, you've had your pediatrics training, but then you've had this like kind of broad scope, but then you're going really deep into the subject. And it, it's really tough because as a fellow, the first day people kind of, uh, they know you're training, but at the same time, you're, you're expected to be the expert, you know? So um, during that time, I also did some like um, research in diarrheal diseases. And I met uh, my mentor who I ended up actually working with. Um, as faculty at Emory, where um, I started doing um, clinical trials and doing um, clinical work there as well. Oh, wow. And then, yeah. And then a couple of years later, I ended up in um, Oakland, actually, there after I got married to my husband who lived in San Francisco. That's a whole nother story. But uh, yeah, and then I um, was uh, the fellowship director there for a bit and I was doing clinical work. And then and then that's around the time I was thinking, hmm, I'm, I'm not sure what my next steps are. And then this mm, happened. Yeah. I see. I see. Um, do you, So I'm going to ask you some questions about what it is that you did um, in pediatrics infectious disease. But sure. um, my first question that comes to mind and even actually thinking about, you know, just children in general. And I I'm a little more biased now because I have my own children. Um, but, you know, why, why, what makes a disease infectious? Like, what is that category? It's an infection, right? So anything like a, a virus, a bacteria, a parasite, a fungus that causes infection that is not supposed to be there, it's in your body. I see. So this is mm -hmm. not like the cold, right? Well, I, yeah, I mean, you're right. A cold is an infection, but that would be more the general pediatrician that would okay. say something like that. Okay. Okay. We, you know, that's an interesting point that you make. So like we do get um, consults for things like kids who have recurrent colds or illnesses where the, the pediatrician wants us to look a little bit deeper and make sure there's no immune system problem. But typically those are kids who are just being kids, you know, like they I go see. to daycare or wherever and they're just getting 
Um, so, oh, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Oh, no, no, you're fine. Um, so, I, I was going to say, so, um, I, so a kid would come to see you as a specialist if they had um, an infectious disease then. It's not like the common cold is what I'm asking. Yeah, no, that's correct. Yeah, or a suspicion of one, or sometimes actually we would be the first people to like see a kid that we're suspicious for cancer or a kid that we're suspicious for like um, lupus or because a lot of these things present with fever or a lot of things present with um, like symptoms that are bizarre and infectious disease tends to be the one of the first um, consultants that people reach out to. Oh, wow. Okay. So what kind of clinical trials were you doing? Can you talk about those? Yeah. So um, I was part of a clinical trials unit. Um, I um, was working with um, this excellent mentor at Emory and um, we did a lot of clinical trials that were funded through the NIH. So there were a lot of like early phase trials and things like influenza. Um, We actually did one of the Ebola trials, um, and um, so we did a lot of vaccine work there. So um, early studies where we recruited patients to see is this vaccine safe? And, um, and then also a little bit of could this work? And then it would advance from there. We also did stuff in, um, in kids where we looked at serious infections in kids to see like what, what the um, epidemiology or kind of like what um, that might look like within the kids in, in our area. Um, so it's a it's a huge variety of um, things, but all infection related because mm-hmm. they're vaccines. So, um, do you miss working with kids and doing that kind of work, even being where you are now? So I always miss. So the the part of medicine that's near and dear to my heart is actually the hospitalized kids. So um, if I'm being completely honest, I could do it without clinic because those kids are typically fine. But the mm-hmm. hospitalized kids are the ones that are sick. They're the ones that really need attention. And um, that's where the interesting kind of conundrums come from. Um, So I do miss those kids. Um, Research was really fun um, because you get to answer a lot of questions that are unknown. Mm -hmm. And um, the amount of like thought and care that goes into that is just, it's just really neat because then you get to also mingle with a lot of people who are who are the experts in their field. And it's it's just, it's just fascinating. Um, So I do miss that aspect too. Um, I will have to honestly say, I do not miss the hours. (laughs) So it was like 24 seven weekends, everything. (gasps) Really? So this is, you know, yeah. I mean, like carrying a pager is tough. Like getting woken out of sleep is tough. Like working weekends and then not sleeping is tough. I mean, most, most doctors I feel like are better at it than I am, but I'm, I'm honestly a little bit sleep dependent. So (laughs) It's been a little bit of a relief. Um, no, I totally get I that. I'm being recorded. No, 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 no. I, this is great. Transparency on this podcast is That's always right. welcome. That's right. Um, <laughs> um, but so, okay, like, and again, as you're talking about your job, your previous job, um, you know, what comes to mind is just a little I know about that kind of life is because of the tv shows i watch right <laughs> oh man i wish that, i wish medicine were as cool as tv <laughs> no i feel like it probably is not that far off but yeah. um you know so have you come upon diseases where you could not identify like right away and oh for sure yeah 
So what is the process, if you don't mind me asking, like of you starting to do the research and look for um, what it is that's going on for this child? Yeah. So, I mean, it's not just me, you know, doing the thing. So what happens usually, let's say you have a kid who's hospitalized and um, one of the doctors who's taking care of them will reach out and say, hey, you know, I have this um, kid who has X, Y, Z, and can you come see them? Because we need a little bit more um, expertise or help um, thinking it through. So these are like really bright people who are like trying to kind of bring, and it won't be just me. I mean, sometimes it's straightforward. It's just me, but for those kids who um, we really can't figure it out, it'll be kind of like a collection of doctors from different specialties looking into it. And so, you know, when you're, when with anything that you do, it's always information gathering, right? So you go to the source, you go to the patient if they're old enough, the families to talk to them, even if it's written in the chart, like you want to make sure that you talk to um, the parents or the kid and figure out the sequence of events, like what happened, because most of the time you can actually kind of extrapolate what happened there. Mm-hmm. And then um, in the infectious disease side, we always think about like, what have they been exposed to? What are, you know, like certain things that could predispose them to a certain infection? And what, um, is there anything suspicious about um, their medical history or things that they've experienced that may be suspicious for an underlying condition, like it, like an immune compromising condition that could predispose them to some serious infection? Um, you know, and that, and then you like obviously do a thorough exam of the patient because sometimes there's clues there. And then, and then we look at like labs to see is there anything we can gather from there. I know like, a, and I say it that way because I know a lot of people think, oh, why don't you just send a test and figure it out? But mm-hmm. the test should always support, you know, what you've gathered from talking to the patient and what you figured out from examining them. Um, mm-hmm. And then um, after that, you kind of, basically compile your information together. And sometimes you go to the literature and you look up any um, studies that were done Mm -hmm. on on this. If it's like something rare, then there may be some like uh, reports about it, Um, you know, and then if you feel like it's kind of out of your wheelhouse, there are other people that you can talk to. So we're never doing anything in isolation. And um, within within the groups that I've been, we always actually discuss our cases once a week. Um, to see if there's any additional ideas from people. And if it was complex, we would always um, bring in others to talk through it too. So, yeah. Um, So, you know, after doing all the research, I would imagine there are times where it's difficult to find a solution, right, to whatever it is the Mm -hmm. disease might be. But like, um, what do you do? Like, do you, you must have to take some sort of action in order to start treatment are there are there just like drugs in order for you to start doing that or do you get what I'm asking yeah so yeah I think that's a great question because there are certain things where we really don't know what's going on with the person and we'll try different things um and so we'll we'll kind of go with like oh I think this is most common or I think this is most life-threatening because you certainly don't want to miss something that's going to kill the patient right because there are other things where you can kind of take some time and figure it out. Um, so it's it's a matter of like triaging what you think is the most important and most likely. And sometimes, honestly, we're wrong. And then later we find out that it was something else or we never find out. Like mm-hmm. sometimes there are things that we just don't find out. And that's, that's the completely frustrating part, right? Um, 
Yeah, so, I mean, sometimes it can be one of those things where we just don't have an answer. And um, I always tell families at this juncture, you know, like we, we're trying to communicate everything we know that um, it's highly frustrating not to have an answer, especially since it's your kid. I mean, I, I can't imagine what that is even like. And um, yeah, so yeah, you're right. We, we just have to pick something and go with it, but it's always um, thoughtfully thought out and um, what we believe is the best path forward. And usually by that time, you've discussed it with a ton of people. I see. Man, yeah, I'm a, I mean, I would imagine it's extremely frustrating, especially when um, like dealing with, not dealing with, but for lack of a better term, dealing with, you know, family members and people that care for the patient and, mm-hmm. you know, them kind of being like, well, you know, you guys are supposed to know. And I actually, I'm speaking from a little bit of experience too. Because yeah. Oh, what happened? <laughs> oh, well, okay. So it was really bizarre. Like long story short, David and I were, we were in Boston um, on a short trip. And when we got there, he started breaking out in hives. Okay. Aww. But we didn't know what it was from. And then by day three, we were about to leave to go back home to Atlanta. And um, he was literally, his whole upper body was like swollen and covered in hives, right? Yeah, exactly. And I think we like, I don't know if we picked the wrong hospital. I just chose the one that was closest because I was like, oh, surely like they can just give you, make sure everything's okay and we'll get on the plane, right? As soon as we got there, people like masked up, like... And I was like, what about me? And they're like, you're already exposed, whatever it is. And I like freaked out, you know, we weren't even married then. And like, and um, yeah, and they said, you can't get on a plane because it started spreading all over his body. And it and it looked really, it started blistering. It was really bad. They, I remember they did bring in infectious disease at one point, but um, but I also remember being like, no one being able to find an answer. Um, they think it was an allergic reaction to a medication that he was on previously. Um, but I remember being extremely frustrated because, well, one, I hadn't slept very much since, you know, since we got there and then, and then he wasn't getting better. He was getting worse, you know? And, um, you know, I remember going to a resident event and I just like started crying because I was like, why isn't he getting better like are you guys treating him well like you know like I just didn't know and so I I but the and also the reason I kind of asked you that question about you know you don't know the answer so what do you do and I was worried you know because they didn't have an answer but they said they're gonna start him on some sort of steroid you know and I'm like well what if you know x y and z happens and I just would imagine it's a very difficult place to be because really I should have been thanking them. They're really just trying to help. But <laughs> um, but um, it was just – so I mean like I – thinking about you and the place that you've been, especially working with children, I'm sure you are doing everything you can and then um, you just – you know, you don't have all the answers but you do have a lot of them. So <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I know what you're talking about. Um, the the syndrome is like actually unclear cause, but it does self-resolve typically, but does get worse before it gets better. So mm. yeah, I, I think that's hard. That's really hard situations like that because it's it's hard to explain it to a, you know, like right, a person. Right, right. 
Yeah, I'm sorry that happened. Oh, no. I mean, he's all he's great now. It's fine. Yeah. And I'm just glad, you know, we we avoid that medication at, at all costs now. Mm-hmm. I, don't, I still don't know what happened. But um, I just I just remember that um, I I just walked out of there thinking, you know, I am grateful. I am grateful for for doctors that are really trying their best to help in those types of situations where no one has answers you know um but uh okay so I have another question for you as a doctor not as a person that works at Merck sorry (laughs) that's fine by me I feel like the doctor thing is probably more um honestly more relevant because I've been doing it for so much longer right so how long did you do that before um starting this job at Merck so I was, when did I graduate med school? You're making me think, which is <laughs> It's late, sorry. No, I, I just can't remember years very well. I think I completed residency in 2010. Okay. And then I completed my fellowship in 2014. And then I came here. And, so six years of like practicing infectious diseases, but before that was like training in pediatrics and infectious disease. Um. So, you know, as a, as an experienced doctor, you know, I've had a I've had a doctor on before in like general medicine. Mm-hmm. Um, but for some reason it didn't occur to me to ask him this at the time. Um, but for those listening that maybe are thinking about going into the medical field specifically to be a doctor, um, yeah, like have you ever lost a patient before? Oh, yeah, many I'm um, not many times, but yes. <laughs> Um, so like more, more than I'd like to say, I mean, it's devastating. Yeah. So what is the impact like for you as a doctor? Oh, I think that's a great question. It's, it's hard because, um, it's not that you can spend time to mourn the patient a lot of time, at least in the infectious disease side, it's a kid that you've been working with for a really long time. Who's mm. very, very, very sick. Um, and so you really do build ties with that family and the child. And so it it's hard, but then it's not like you can say, oh, I need to take a day off because my patient died or that you even have enough time to reflect. You have to go see the next patient mm-hmm. and you have to keep, I mean, it's not like the kid who's um, in the ICU really understands that, oh, hey, actually I need time to process this. You don't, you don't really have that luxury. And yeah. so I think that actually leads to a lot of burnout and fatigue in a lot of people because um, you're kind of expected to just be this um, like almost machine in a sense. So, yeah, that's that's really a difficult part of medicine and other specialties where they deal, deal with it much, much more than I did. I, I don't know how they did it mm. or how they do it. Yeah, I mean, I just feel like it with my personality, it would be hard for me to mm-hmm. kind of package things up and just move on. But I know that's part of the job that you have and as a doctor. And so I just, I, I've never, I've actually never asked any doctor that before. And so I was curious to how, so like, I know you say you move on and you, you cause you have no choice. Right. But yeah. um, I mean, like, do you, is it difficult for you to like leave that at work? Because I would, I don't know. I feel like I would. No, I, I think, I still think about them. Mm. Yeah, because I mean, these are like people, right? These right. are like lives that were lost and people that you really cared about. I mean, they're not your family, but like, mm. 
you're you're involved in a very intense part of their life and it's not like the doctor like stays in the room for like hours on end um because I feel like the nurses are the people that you see the most I mean you're probably aware that they're the ones who do like you're more um like every couple hours um checking in on you and stuff but like um as the physician you see the patient you're assessing them but then you're also like and what, what is the best thing I can do for this person? And you think about that like all day. And then, and then when something doesn't work out, then you do this whole like, oh, what could I have done for this person? And, mm. and then you think about the families and you're like, oh man, their lives are so different now. They don't have this person in their life anymore. And, and so like, at least for me, like you just carry that burden mm -hmm. and it's, mm -hmm. and it's hard to like, let that go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, that brings me back to where, where you are now too, like the ability that this job has given you at Merck to kind of be more, a little more, I mean, I don't want to say more impactful. That's not what you're doing, but just kind of have a, a further reach in the regulatory services, I think yeah. uh, really speaks volumes, you know, and wanting to do more. And um, I think it's really cool. It's so cool. All of it's really <laughs> neat. <laughs> Um, well, I, agree. I think it's super cool. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, so we talked about a lot of cool stuff in your job, but are there any challenges thus far in what you're doing cur currently at Merck, or like, is there something that you don't like? Oh, I love absolutely everything. <laughs> Merck are listening to this, right? So I love. No, I'm just kidding. I think for me, um, because I like to work very collaboratively. The um, the pandemic situation of working at home has been really strange because I've even, you know, the pandemic, I was taking care of patients with COVID, right? Mm. Um, and office, you still see the patients um, and you talk with your colleagues, but here it's, you have to make a bit of a more, you have to make more of an effort. And so that's been, that's been my biggest challenge. Um, but I feel like I have a great team who's been very um, supportive. And then the other thing that um, is hard for me personally is no longer being the expert in my field because I'm kind of starting over again in a sense. And so it's interesting to hear people talk about disease states, um, but I don't get asked about them because they just assume that we're all kind of like baseline, not not physicians and stuff like that. So I, I find that part interesting. Mm. And then um, the other thing would be, I am not used to having like managers in the sense of like answering to somebody. I mean, there's always like some, like a division chief or someone like that, but like a lot of what I did was very independent. Mm -hmm. Like I made a lot of my own decisions within the realm of like, I know I was supervised or whatever, but like here it's like a bit more hierarchical. So that's been a really, that's been a, a bit of a transition for me. So I'm, I'm learning how to navigate that and what the right um, processes are so um, yeah just like being involved in like the day-to-day -day process is very very strange to me it's not necessarily bad it's just I'm not used to it and so my husband actually makes fun of me all the time about it no I mean it's, if you're not used to that that's really difficult to do I feel like especially if you've been working kind of like you know autonomously and people yeah. trust you to do what you're supposed to do and then you right. have to answer to someone it's really challenging <laughs> yeah I mean a good example I guess that is like I have to log my time but I'm like why in the world does anyone need to know what I'm up to I'm working like you know like 
all day doing stuff related to what I'm supposed to be doing. And so I know it's, it's a way of accounting for what people do, but I've never done that before. So I find like that piece really interesting. Yeah, no, that's a great example. My husband, tell, he has to do the same for his. Oh, really? And, he's, and he like kind of, you know, complains about it. He's like, I mean, like, why does like do like we're obvious if we're the work is done what does it matter <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah that's funny that's a really good example though um uh, so okay um I guess we kind of touched on it a little bit but you know since we talked about kind of the challenges what do you love most about your current job I really like that I get to interface with kind of all aspects of the company mm-hmm. and the process to go um, get the vaccine done. So if we kind of go back to where I was with the pediatric infectious disease side doing clinical trials, like there was the science part, there was the, you know, like interfacing with um, my colleagues and our study nurses and learning about the product and engaging with the science. And so that part was really cool. But here I get to see like, Okay, so we have this product and we have the people who are in charge of running the studies. We have the people who are in charge of the manufacturing. We have the people who are in charge of like the promotion, which honestly, like the business side, I'm like, I haven't, I I think it's fascinating because it's not a side that I've ever been familiar with. And then, you know, so it's like all these different groups that are doing different functions to like work together to make this a reality. And so mm-hmm. I, I love being in the mix of that. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, that's like all my, that's like my heartbeat really just to be a yeah. part of something bigger than myself. Like yeah. I get that. That's amazing. Yeah. And you think, you know, at, at a um, pharmaceutical um, company, like Marcus one, but like, let's say like Pfizer or some other ones, like, you know, people are like, oh, you know, they're just out for profit and all that stuff. Sure, that's always part of the equation because you can't run a business without money. But at the same time, like the people within the company are just like so driven to help others. And I and I'm not even kidding you that they talk about this. Like people will step back and they're like, look, we're doing this for patients. Like we're we really want to, you know, change people's lives. We really want to contribute to the community. That's why we're all here. And um, I've I mean. The work has gotten quite busy and so people are getting tired in a sense but um yeah that's something that we always kind of come back to and i think that's been that's been really refreshing and like good to remember mm. um no thank you for bringing that up because i will say i think even myself i have this sort of um yeah stigma like you know i hear the word pharmaceutical company and for mm-hmm. some reason i i have this not like a negative attitude towards it so I thank you for bringing that up um but you know I think that's just what the media paints and into the public but um as much as maybe I believed before that people are part of these companies to really help others you saying it brings a lot of light and truth to Mm -hmm. um, something that people need to know you know and so thank you for saying that Mm um so one last thing, actually, I wanted to ask you it, again. It doesn't have to do with your current job. It's <laughs> fine. You can ask me whatever you want. <laughs> but um, you mentioned that I it, I don't know why it didn't occur to me, but you mentioned that you were working with COVID nineteen patients, you know, before you transferred to this job. Mm-hmm. Um, now, were you working with children then, or mm-hmm. just with okay. children? 
Yeah, I know in the East Coast, um, a lot of pediatricians actually had to work with adults just because adult units are like overflowing. In the West Coast, the pandemic kind of um, like hit it more slowly in a sense. Mm -hmm. And so our wards are relatively free of adults. And just, but um, yeah, the kids had um, the, that MISC syndrome that you hear about with that very inflammatory syndrome and got quite sick. So um, it was a different kind of disease presentation. There were some, you know, that had the breathing problems and um, yeah, it, but the, I, I feel like the adults really did get a huge hit. Um, that, so that was, that was just really tough to see. And just seeing like those patients with COVID just face to face, this, it, it, to me, like it just felt almost unnecessary, especially since there were things that we could do to minimize the impact. And I know that discussion has gotten a bit political for some reason, but I, I, I don't even know why that needed to be the case, you know, but yeah. anyway, we're not going to go there, but yeah, I just, I <laughs> mean, that can, was just if like, you what want. always mind is like, we could have done a little better for these mm. kids. Yeah. Yeah. I, I thank you. Thank you for being on the front lines. I am so grateful for doctors like you, Jimmy. Oh, thanks. But I, yeah, I unfrontlined a while ago. So yeah, I'm really No, crazy. you're on a different, you're on a different yeah. front line now. It was Please. a little different. I'm at home doing this. Like, <laughs> I, I am just so grateful to my colleagues. Like I cannot even imagine what their day to day is. It's a lot. Like I, I know people who haven't taken vacation and God knows how long and they're mm. working all these weekends. And it's, it's just because they, they want to make sure that, um, that, um, you know, like people are, cared for it's yeah. it's just really crazy yeah. yeah absolutely but I do truly believe that you were on a front line that you know other people can't even imagine to be a part of and so I'm thankful for that as well um <laughs> to get no I'm serious I'm not Fair just thing. saying that you know I I tell I feel like a broken record at this point I tell all of my guests like the things that they do I I don't even think about you know what I mean like I don't even imagine that there's a job for this and that's the whole yeah. point of the podcast is that um, to bring light to areas and careers where people don't even realize our possibility. And I feel like regulatory services at a pharmaceutical or sorry, a, yeah, yeah, pharmaceutical company like Merck is not even, I don't know, for me, it's not a, it's not an option that I would have chosen like high school or even thought about, right. Or a goal to have. Um, oh, I wouldn't have thought about it either. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. I, think that's, I think that's my um, kind of my story is that, you're never too old to try something new. And I don't think that you should underestimate yourself. Of course, your skill set should reflect what you do, but I don't think that like stretching yourself and like going for something different that you're not entirely comfortable with mm. um, is a bad thing. Wait, yeah. did I say that right? Yeah. I, th I, think, I think it's really good to just like challenge yourself and um, try to grow wherever you are um, and, yeah, there's, there's just so much to do out there, right? So, yeah. I, yes, that's like extremely sound advice. And I was going to ask you, that's my next question, um, before we, our time together ends tonight. Um, do you have any other advice, you know, maybe for someone that's thinking about going into the medical field or has interest in working um, in the area of regulatory services or any advice at all, just life advice. You just gave a really great piece of advice, but do you have anything else? <laughs> yeah, I guess if you're thinking about medicine, like really count the cost. Um, and I, I know that sounds almost ominous, but medicine is quite intense. You know, it's mm -hmm. four years of additional medical school plus like 
three to four years, um, depending on the subspecialty or specialty that you choose, plus additional training for any subspecialty and some of the surgical specialties are even longer. And so it it's really important to know why you want to do it because um, I'll, I'll go back to a story that I had um, with a, a person that I knew quite a long time ago. And he asked me who makes more money, doctors or dentists. And I was like, if that's your focus, then you cannot do, be a doctor mm-hmm. um, because the amount of amount of investment you put into your career is not worth the means at the end. And I promise you, if money is your outcome, you're not going to be happy. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would say count the cost, but also like, it's a, such a rewarding profession because man, you get to really be in people's lives, like a part of people's lives that even their families don't know, right? Like people are the most vulnerable when they're ill or speaking to their doctor. And so it's such a privileged space. Um, and then for regulatory affairs, I mean, I just got into it. Um, it's, it's such an interesting profession. Um, it's not something that I feel like is necessarily a career goal or path, unless you're like, man, I've heard this podcast. This is what I'm going to do. But um, I, but if you're really interested in like drug development and talking with you know regulatory agencies such as the FDA and seeing that whole process come together, or if you're if you're a global minded person that really enjoys science, I think it's an excellent field. Um, and of course, like what I just talked about, those two um, fields are very challenging but incredibly rewarding in the sense of like. Um, nerding out on science or like, you know, being able to um, um, collaborate with really intelligent people and also like making an impact on people's lives. Mm -hmm. Um, And then in general, I would say like what I said before, don't be afraid to stretch yourself and go for something that doesn't seem like quite up your alley. And the other thing I would also say is that there's never a time where like if you, if something is interesting to you, I, I really feel like you can figure it out. Like everything takes work. Everything is hard to do, except maybe laying around the house. I don't know. Sometimes that's hard to do too, but <laughs> you know, everything is actually pretty hard to do. If it's something that's worth um, doing, I do feel like it's difficult in a sense. Yeah. And um, I would just say, just keep at it. If it's really something that um, you find passion in that just, you wake up and you're like, wow, this is cool. Like every day is not like, you know, you're, you're like jumping up and down and birds are singing and squirrels are brushing your hair. But at the same time, you know, when you look at your job and you're like, this is really cool. Like if you, if you feel that way about something, I would say just continue to pursue it and work hard. Um, yeah. And, and don't give up. Yes. All really good and sound advice that everyone should take. I hope it's sound advice. We'll see. (laughs) No, no, seriously. Um, Jimmy, thank you so much again for sharing your heart and passion for what you do. And um, I really appreciate the time that you gave me today. So thank you. Um, I know you're probably a busy woman, but uh, (laughs) if there is somebody that maybe has a question after listening to this podcast or maybe has some interest in some of the things that you talked about, would you be okay with me connecting them to you? Oh, yeah, that would be great. I'm always happy to talk to people who are interested. That's awesome. Well, you guys, um, yeah, I make it a point to kind of ask all of my guests um, if they're willing to connect after hearing this podcast. Um, And they're all always so willing. So please take advantage. You know, it's it's an opportunity that I think um, I wish I had when I was growing up. Um, So thank you again, Jimmy. Thanks, guys, for listening. Until next time. 
Bye. Bye. <laughs>